Okay, yes. Uh, Acts chapter 5. Let's turn to the book of Acts chapter 5. And we've been talking about this book. And uh, be praying for Josh and Taylor. They're getting married down the road. And uh, so I want to talk to you guys briefly afterwards if I can. I'm so excited for these guys. Aren't we great? I'm excited for Elijah. That kid is in for the ride of his life. (laughs) Yeah. So we were in the uh, new building um, a couple days ago, and the reason why we're not there today is because we don't have the keys yet, which is an interesting phenomenon, but maybe God wanted us to be in this hotel one more weekend, and uh, we saw the room, we dedicated the room to Elijah, we're calling it the Elijah room, the window there, so you can see the message when mom's in there with him, Acts chapter 5, and I just want to quickly mention three things at the beginning of this that the world that we live in is a system of controls right and counter control how many how many have observed that we live in a very controlled world don't we controlled in many ways controlled religiously controlled economically controlled socially controlled ethnically controlled with many different controls. And the first church, like today, was birthed into the midst of a world that had just carnal systems and carnal controls. What's that word carnal mean? Yeah, it just means living in the, in, the, in the desires and the energy and the wisdom of the flesh, right? Just my opinions, my emotions, my thoughts, devoid of what God's thoughts are and what the Word of God says. Carnality can be actually not only when we say carnality, a lot of people think of the you know the, the ten big sins, but carnality carnality can also take form in the church uh, when there are standards that are placed on individuals that were never standards that were biblically based. So we always want to be careful that we're not putting standards on people that the Bible never talks about. For example, the way someone should dress or the way that someone should talk or etc etc so the first thing is the world is a system of controls and counter control okay the second thing is that when we interrupt these systems and controls the backlash is always going to be jealousy anger and re-control right it's going to be this hey we got to get back on top of this we're losing control here and (laughs) when these systems and controls are interrupted it's just a mess isn't it just everyone there's just an outcry and number three, the church was powerful because they weren't controlling. These are these four points I want you to remember as we're speaking this message this morning, as I'm speaking this message. It's just only one of me up here, not us. <laughs> Don't think I've got multiple personalities here. The church was powerful because it wasn't living in a system of controls, but it was filled with the Spirit, and it soared above all of the anger and the jealousy. And so these three things here, I said four, but... Just checking to see if you're, if you're concentrating. There's three. I know, I know, the, I know uh, Nicholas counting back there. The church was powerful. We see in Acts chapter 5. We're going to read through it in a couple minutes. So I hope you brought your Bibles. Acts chapter 5. We're going to read through it here. We're going to see like how powerful that the church was because they were not living and trying to control what was happening. So let's look at the scriptures together in uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Can everyone see this up there? Okay. The new place, the, um, 
the screen's going to be higher than me, so some of you are, are going to be able to see beyond me and Johnny when he's up there playing the guitar. When I'm worshiping, I'm looking at Johnny the whole time, wondering if Johnny's sinking, you know, like, why is he staring at me? <laughs> now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. I like that, regularly done. And they were all together in Solomon's portizo, which, what was that? Do you remember what Solomon's porch was? Let's look at this again. I like pictures, you know. I like to look at pictures because I'm a graphic person. We look at this again, and we can just see. I'm going to point this again. This was the inner sanctum, which no longer was being used because Jesus died, was crucified, died, rose again. And this place became vacant because now Jesus Christ and the church are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so this is the outer, this is the outer court, and this is where the lame man was healed. This was the treasury. And then outside here was where, was the, where the first church was meeting. How cool. What a building that was, huh? <laughs> nice church building they had. They just kind of took over where they, were, <clears throat> where, they were, where they were meeting. Verse 13, And none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. I think when authority, I'm just going to quickly make comments, when authority has to say, hey, you better honor me, maybe it's better to say, hey, let's look at what God is doing, because when God is moving, then there's true honor that's going on, correct? And so, number, uh, verse, verse 14, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Now, why does it say and women here? Because women in the Middle East, as well it is to, as it is today, were generally mistreated, they were they were demeaned, they were treated and as they were treated as uh, less than what they were created to be in the in the eyes of God. And so we see not only men getting saved, but we see women getting saved. Only in Christianity do we find the proper place that a woman can can be and enjoy her creation. Otherwise, it's going to either be extremely um, overemphasized or extremely undervalued. And so in verse, verse 15, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Now what was happening here was Peter's shadow healing people. There was a, a, um, a from this verse or a misinterpretation of this verse, a superstition arose that when a great man of God would walk by that or not just a, only a great man of God, but anyone, that their power of their soul was in the shadow, was in their shadow. And so this is incorrect, and it wasn't Peter's shadow that was healing them. It was really the power of God in Peter as people put their eyes on Jesus Christ and listened to the message that Peter was preaching, and they were healed. And in verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. What's an unclean spirit? That's just a demonic influence in a person's life that is just, that is just not pure. It's just there's something weird about it. It's just kind of a perverted, it's just kind of dirty. I mean, I think we all know what the, those kind of vibes are when you, when you meet someone or meet something that has an unclean spirit about it. It's just not clean, it's not honest, and it's not vulnerable, and it's not open, and... You know, uh, these people that had these perversions in their life were brought to uh, the apostles and brought to the move of God at the temple. 
and they were all healed. I like that, all healed. I know some denominations struggle with this word, all healed. Some will say, well, if you really have faith, then you're going to be healed. If you don't have enough faith, you're not going to be healed. We know that that's not the issue when Jesus said to his disciples uh, in the book of Luke, when his disciples said, when Peter said, give us more faith or increase our faith. Jesus said, if you had faith as a mustard seed, you could speak unto this mountain, which, which is really referring to a kingdom, because mountains always refer to kingdoms in the Bible, be cast into the sea. It's never about how much faith you have. So don't beat yourself up if you don't feel like you're full of faith sometimes. It's just that they were brought because they recognized, we, I don't want to preach a message we talked about a few weeks ago, but when they looked at Jesus Christ and they would listen to the message of the, of the great finished work, they were healed. I think all of us have things in our life that we come to church with that just need to be healed. We need to be healed every day. Even if, you're, even if you've been healed from stuff in the past, we need to be healed from this week. <laughs> I don't know about you, but things happen during the week. And come to church, it's like, or come to midweek Bible study, we're like, I need to be healed by the word of God. And so the next verse in verse 17, but the high priest rose up. I like that. It sounds like, you know, he just kind of, sounds very prideful, doesn't it? Like, you know, the big guy is just going to stand up now. He's going to stand up and now he's going to make his statement. And all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees. We'll talk about that, who those people were in a minute. And were filled with jealousy. They were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. A public prison was just a really bad place. It was just a place where murderers were, rapists were. I mean, these were really bad people. And this was to embarrass them and to humiliate them. And in verse 19, But during the night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, and this, this is where it gets, I read this and I just laughed as I read this. It's just so amazing. And I'm reading this from the, uh, the English Standard Version because it reads better. Um, and he opens the door and brought them out. This is amazing, isn't it? Now watch what happens. He says, Go stand in the temple. And speak to the people all the words of this life. And verse 21, and when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak, which was what, 4, 5, 5.30 in the morning, and began to teach. That's a good time because in the Eastern cultures, a lot of people are getting out early, early in the morning to do business. They're going out there to set up their, their shops, their open air markets, their little tables to sell things. And began to teach. And when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council. And listen to this. All the senate of the people of Israel. That's a, now, that's a big group right there. When we, when we read about this, we think, well, just a group of guys. No, this was a large group of individuals in the Sanhedrin. This, this, was, um, uh, this was similar to our, this, like our Congress, our House and our Senate. This is like a huge meeting. We just had, um, was it last week, we had uh, the president address the Congress and the House and the Senate together. It was one of those. It was kind of like that. Here's the chief priest. He's going to be talking to everybody. And as they did that, they, meet, they gather all of them together, and they sent to prison to have them, they sent to the prison to have them brought. So imagine the scene with me, okay? They're, on this, they're in this temple, okay? They are, and if it's a little chilly in here, we can turn it down. Um, I 
can see people starting to shiver. Icicles forming on <laughs> Nicholas' hair. <laughs> Imagine the scene here. There's the, the, all these big, big, big wigs. These, these government officials, the legislators are all showing up. They're there with a the big chief priest who just rose up, and they're going to have a they're going to have a big meeting with these these with these uh, troublemaker apostles. So they got to say, okay, they're like, okay, we're all set, we're all set. Everybody's seated, great. Bring in the perpetrators. So they call them out. They call them to have them brought, okay, from the prison. Look what happens. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. <laughs> what, what a scene. I mean, can you imagine it? Here's this big, you know, troop of like, you know, officers that are coming to take the, the prisoners to that big meeting that they're going to have at the temple. And they get there, the, the guards are standing there like, we got some important guys in there, you know, and they open it up and they're not there. They're looking around, where are these guys? They're just sick, scratching their head. And can you imagine that this angel comes, opens the door, lets these guys out, closes the door and locks it because there's other people in there too. And they walk off. Nobody else in the prison sees it, and none of the guards sees it. Isn't that incredible? And now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard all these words, they were greatly perplexed about them and wondering what is this going to come to? What is going to come out of this whole thing? They're all, so this huge, I'm mean, just trying to picture this huge hall of just all of these um, representatives from every city of Israel. They're all in this room, and they're scratching their heads like, what's going to happen with it? And as they're doing this, verse 25, someone came and told them. So this guy runs in, right? Runs into the temple and he, into this room and says, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. What a comedy show. I mean, this whole big meeting and these guys are out preaching in the temple. They, they're, not on the, they're not on the run to like, you know, to, to the Sinai. They are, they are there in the temple just maybe meters away from where this is all going on. These guys had guts. Verse 26, And the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stones by the people. Imagine this. Here's the, here are the apostles. They, they may have been seated. I don't know if they were seated or standing, but they're, they're, they're teaching the people. There's like a large, large group of people here. This whole, this whole um, portizzo, or this whole uh, area is just packed with people and so the guards the, the officers go and say hey come with us and they're just being very diplomatic very careful because they don't want to get stoned by the people and in verse verse 26 27 and when they had brought them they set them before the council and the high priests questioned them saying we strictly charged you not to teach in his name Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Just, that's perplexing right there for me. Because <laughs> it's like shocking. These guys are not in prison. They're teaching the people, which were they were originally arrested for doing. They're back, and they're like, and the Sadducees make no mention of the miracle. Isn't that the world we live in? You can have these incredible miracles happen, and you'll never see it on TV. No one will ever talk about it. They're just going to talk about 
what you did wrong and what's going wrong and how you broke the control system. And we just don't do it that way. And you just really messed up the system. And you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And I, this is an amazing statement right here. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now, think about that for a minute with me this morning. Blood of Christ for us is, man, just bring it on. Amen? I just let, let that just cleanse my conscience. Let that cleanse my soul. Let it just rush over me. Let it just let me, let me live in the forgiveness of this man's blood, you know, Jesus Christ. For us, Jesus' Jesus' blood means the remission of sins. It means that your sins from yesterday and from 20, 30, whatever, how many years ago, are as far from you as the east is from the west. That is awesome news. And that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. But for these guys, these Sadducees, and you know, they were sad, you see. So that was really... We all heard that when we were in second grade, right? They were pretty sad, you see, people. They were like, they were guilty. And the blood of Jesus for them was bad news. So the blood of Jesus is such a polarizing thing. Because when we preach the finished work, we preach salvation by grace to the blood of Jesus Christ by faith. Hey, that's going to really tick some people off. And we can't be surprised if not everybody's excited to hear about this great news we have to share. Because it means that, hey, you know what? When you say that you're only saved by grace, sometimes we're kicking the crutches out of underneath people that have been saying, hey, I've been trusting in my good works. I've been trusting in this. I've been... You know, I've been trusting in that. I've been, I'm a good person. But when we say salvation is only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that may be bad news for some people. And so I just want to mention just a few points about the scriptures that we just read. Number one, there are four instances in the book of Acts so far that we see the word filled. Four times that we see the word filled in the book of Acts. Now remember what we said about the word fill or filled in the Greek? It's plero, which means, it just means you're so filled, there's no room for anything else. It's like, you know, when you fill a glass of water, you can put like syrup in there, right? Or lemon juice or whatever, and, it's, but, and you can still add stuff to it. But filling here, a spiritual filling in our life means that I'm so filled with something in my life that, hey, there's nothing else that can fit in there. It just means that my, when my wife and I drove down here, we packed, our, we packed my SUV, we packed a, a trailer, it was so full, we couldn't, fit, we couldn't fit even one more thing in there. We squeezed our dog behind <laughs> us in a little space like that, and it just sat there for three days. <laughs> Poor dog, you know. It's so filled. Four instances. That number one, the, the apostles were filled with the Spirit. You know, I think that when we get into these crazy discussions on Facebook about, like, stuff that doesn't matter, we just get into this nutty stuff about, like, you know, these arguments, we've, we've all seen these threads, right? Like 3,000 comments. Somebody yeah. posts something, you know, like they make a comment, you know, and then there's like all these controversial comments and stuff like that. It's like, I don't have time for that. I mean, that's okay. I'm just filled with something in my life that's much bigger than my BIOS life or my self-life on, in the world of Facebook. So what if somebody doesn't like a comment you make? You don't have to worry about that. Just, it's fine. It's not, it's not the end of the world. Facebook does not determine the quality of our relationships. If somebody unfriends you, it's not the end of the world. It might be painful. But when we, when we understand that the, the, the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit and the place was shaken in verse 31 and they preached boldly, great grace was upon them all. 
I just am so filled personally with just what God is doing, you know, and just in, in our midst. I just, I'm just amazed what God's doing in people's lives, you know. I'm just so happy to hear in all of your lives what's happening. You know, it's just so, so awesome. I talk with you individually and, and uh, just this last two weeks, everyone in this room has told me something that God is doing in their life. And I'm just amazed. I'm just like, this is God. I could never do this. That's what I'm filled with. I'm not filled with anything else. I'm not filled. The second, the, the second um, uh, the instance of being filled was Ananias and Sapphira. Remember the, that married couple? We talked about them Wednesday at a midweek Bible study. They were filled with a lie, and they wound up dead. And it's not so much that these guys sold land and made money. That's not why they died. You know, I mean, it's, it's fine for us to sell something and make money on it. But what, what, why did they die? Because they were, they were trying to portray something or project an image of godliness that just wasn't there. And God just hates that. God would rather, God would rather have it be, it is what it is, than us in our lives to try to project something that's not really, that's called hypocrisy. Hypocrisy in the Greek, I remember we were at a Greek restaurant the guy, the guy who owned the restaurant was Greek, of course. He was from Athens, I think Athens, right? Or Thessaloniki. Yeah. Thessaloniki. And um, he was explaining to us what the word in Greek hypocrisy means, or hypocrite. He says it actually means to do a transaction under the table. You got, you got people are looking. You know, if you're in the restaurant, you see two people talking, but under the table, something else is going on. <laughs> it means a, two, a double standard. And this is what Ananias and Sapphira were, were, were proposing, and they were filled with lie. They were filled with something that wasn't true, and that can happen today. We can live in a projection about someone. We can live with an idea about someone that's just not true. And that's why we have to think with God, and I'm not going to get stuck on these points because I want to move on. The Sadducees were filled with jealousy and anger. A big point here, a few points I want to make about this in Acts 5, verse 17. Remember? They stood up, they were angry, and they were jealous. It's because when we live, because when they were living in carnal control and counter power control, that always leads to jealousy and anger. The Sadducees lived in a very small, controlled, material world. You ever meet people like that? They live in a very small world. And that world is just under, under their control. And if you shake that world... There's, there's a price to pay. And you know what? Their emotions showed it. Their emotions showed it. You know, the Sadducees were not emotionally healthy people. They were very reactionary. They were, they were very controlling. And we have to understand that one thing about emotions is that your emotions and my emotions do not think. Emotions are not the thinking part of our soul. Emotions don't have any ability to properly assess things. Emotions do not have the ability to rationally think. Emotions cannot think. They just respond. What's that thinking faculty of our soul? What's that called? Conscience. The mind, right? The conscience. It's the mind and the con. It's like that part of us that is thinking. You know, emotions are going to always respond to what you're thinking about. And if you're thinking about God's thoughts, you're thinking about God's promises, you're thinking about God's nature, when you're thinking about the way God works in your life, when you think about what God has done in your life, 
That's all healthy thinking, and your emotions are going to eventually respond to that. They're going to eventually respond to it. Uh, last night I took my dog out for a walk, and my dog doesn't like to go for a walk without both of us walking. My dog is like, it's working, on, you know, it's like great for our marriage. Doesn't want to do anything without one of us, you know. We've got to both be there. So I was like, I was like, come on, I'm dragging my dog down the street. I said, we're going to go for a walk, you know. I'm just, you're going to come along with me. And so we're walking. It was fighting at first, and I was like, no, I, gotta, I want to do this walk. And so eventually kind of submitted and just kind of started going and submitted to my will. You know, when we think, our emotions are like a little dog. I'm sorry to give this illustration, but eventually, if you're thinking right, your emotions are going to get healed. And I think there's a lot of Christians, and even in, 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 in my life and many people's lives, we can suffer from bad emotions or emotional problems because we're not thinking right. What's the, what's the answer for emotional problems? Not an antidepressant. <laughs> not medication. I mean, I mean that's... You know, uh, I'm not a doctor, but, you know, and, and, and follow what your doctor says. But what is the root answer for emotional problems? What was the answer for these Sadducees that were in so much control? It was to think with God. When we think with God, our emotions get healed, and emotions will only respond to the content of our thinking. So why were the Sadducees jealous and angry? This is important to understand about these people. Who were they? Well, the Sadducees were one of two groups that were in the, in the Sanhedrin, or this Congress, this Jewish Congress. We, you know, we have Democrats and Republicans and other parties. Here, there was Pharisees and there were Sadducees. And this is kind of a crude example with our politics. and can't really use it always, but just for an illustration. The Pharisees, remember those guys, right? They gave Jesus so much trouble. The Pharisees were actually a minority they were a smaller group, and they were like the Puritans. These were the guys that were like the orthodox of the faith. They were like, hey, we've got to follow every law and strain at every gnat, as it says. The Sadducees were the majority, and they, were, they had bad doctrine. Um, the Pharisees' doctrine actually was closer to Christian, the Christian faith than the Sadducees were. The Sadducees' doctrine, they didn't believe, listen to this, Sadducees did not believe in angels, they did not believe in the supernatural, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. They were materialists. And the Sadducees, with the result of that kind of materialistic thinking, actually became very hooked on luxury and good living, and they were just, they were living the life. Does that sound like something that's happening today in, in the world of Christianity? Christians today that don't believe that there's a hell? I was thinking, I was thinking the other day, there's a hell right now burning, <laughs> And, I, and, the, and the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that it's in the center of the earth. You know, I mean, there's a hell, and that's a place that, 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 that it's not God's will for people to go there, but it exists, because, it exists because God created it for the devil and his angels. And when we don't receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, as a free gift, we just say yes to God and let him do everything else, and we, and we, we let him fill our life, and what happens is, is that when we don't receive that free gift of salvation, there's, there's no place in heaven for that person. And there's only one other place, and that's hell. That's an you know, uncomfortable thought. You know, people don't go to hell because of their sins. They go to hell because they never received Jesus Christ. Remember that. People, John chapter 3 says, this is the condemnation that's in the world, that they do not believe on Jesus Christ. 
Okay? Your sins, my sins, the sins of the whole world, they were paid for on the cross. Do I want to live in that reality or do I want to live in some other reality? I don't want to get stuck on that, but they had bad doctrine. They had bad doctrine, uh, these Sadducees. And this can exist in the world today. The secondly, they just lived in unbelief. They just had no, because they, they had bad doctrine, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that they were angels. They didn't believe that there was a supernatural. Uh, that resulted in them just living in unbelief about everything in their life. And that led to them living in a very controlled world. When you and I erase the fact that there is an amazing God in heaven that is so for us in the, in the book of Hebrews um, chapter um, 13, that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 12, excuse me. Come boldly to the throne of grace where we may receive help in the time of need. Okay? That is an amazing God. He's on your side. He wants to see your life blessed. And I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel here. I'm talking about like God wants to bless your plans in your marriage. I mean, I just, every day you got to think that, okay, God wants to bless this. Because he, you know, he has a plan to bless my marriage, to bless my, my business, to bless my family, to bless the very complicated situations I'm in in my life. He wants to bless my health. He wants to bless our mission. He wants to bless whatever we are doing. And then the fourth filled is the, the, the apostles. They were filled with something that was so much greater than control. They were filled with God, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the result was what? Their gospel filled the streets of Jerusalem. That'd be awesome. Five years down the road, that spring would just be filled with this great news that we're preaching here. I mean, I don't know. I, my family went to a lot of different churches we never heard really the, the, the pure gospel because I don't know if a lot of Christians even know the gospel. You know, the gospel is not just for the unsaved people; it's just for Christians too. Like every Sunday, my commitment here to preach is I want to preach the gospel every Sunday, in some way or another. The gospel filled Jerusalem with their teaching because they themselves were filled with something that was much greater than fear and so much greater than anger. And so let's go to let's look at the next verse here. Peter and the apostles answered. So here they are standing before this huge assembly of all of these, these men from all over Israel. They're standing in front of them. This is a major event here. And they're standing there. And they said, we strictly told you not to do. Why? What are you doing? Peter answered. And the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. I love those words. I'm going to wrap it up here. We must obey God rather than men. What does that mean? It means that in Romans 13, we submit and we obey our government, you know, but it also means that there may be a moment where if, if I'm faced with a decision that goes against what the Bible says in my life, I got to obey God. I got to make God, I got to make a decision with God. You know, uh, Acts 17, verse 11 it says that they heard these things that the apostles preached, and they went home and studied themselves. I'm not saying here that I, and I'm not, I'm, not gonna, I'm not one of these pastors that say, you know, everything I say is right. I want you to go home and study it. I want you to go home and research it. I want, if I say something wrong, I want to be held accountable. You know what I'm saying? I am not, I'm not the ultimate God here. You know what I'm saying? That's Jesus Christ. 
And if, there, if we were to ever preach something here that was not the word of God, that wasn't, you know, give me grace if I make a, if I make a mistake. But if we preach something here that's just not of God, I just, you know, you got to obey God. And that's what happens is people follow men and they don't follow God. And that's what happens. And our fathers who, and, and the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by the hanging of him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When you and I don't live in control, and when we're not trying to control our environment, some amazing things happen. We're going to find ourselves sometimes in prison, and we're going to have an angel come and unlock that door and let us out. And that prison can be a physical prison, or it can be an internal prison. People find themselves in prison many, many times. And they were in prison and they were set free to preach this life. And I want to finish with this. When the, when the apostles were set free to preach, they were told to go preach this, this life, which is Zoe life. Our call, very simply, is when God takes us out of those prisons. And that prison can be Every morning we wake up, we could be in a prison, a prison of a bad self-image, a prison of, of desires that are just not of God, or a prison of fear, or a prison, or whatever our prison is. Every morning we wake up, and we have that messenger there, which is the Holy Spirit speaking to us, that you are free. You should know the truth, and the truth sets you free, that you are no longer your sin, that we are a brand new creation in Christ, that we are not our sin in Romans chapter 7, verse 20. That we are free indeed. And when we live in a life like that, there's so much freedom. It's not me trying to control my Christianity, but it's me living in awe of the love of God instead of fear. When we live in awe, when we live in a state of just wonder of God, and I just think that let's do that as much as we can in our, in our you know, take some time and just live and just think about how awesome God is and what God has done in your life and what God is doing and just say, you know what, God, you are so awesome. And don't try to control your anger and don't try to control your sin, but live in awe of the cross and what Jesus did on that cross. And when we do that, then the, there's, the Holy Spirit comes into our life. The power of the word of grace comes in. And you know what? We come out of that prison and guess what we're doing? We're telling people about the word of this life. And I like this. It says this life. And the, the angel said, this life. And I think that's significant because our message is not about life. We are not life coaches. We are not people that are embettering people's existence. Actually, the message we're preaching may not embetter someone's physical life. My dad was a successful salesman. He was doing very well. He got saved and everything just went to pot financially. <laughs> and my dad was like, what happened? You know, I believed on God and I started making decisions for Christ and... Now I'm jobless, you know? And it's like so interesting because the, the, words, the words that these apostles were preaching were the words of this life, which what is this life he's talking about? The, the messenger, the angel at that time is pointing at what just happened, that you were in prison and now you're free. You were dead in sin and now you are free from sin. This is the life. This is the message that we want to preach. This is the core message of our church, Evergrace. Core message here is, is that 
is the finished work of Jesus Christ, grace plus nothing, that God has finished the work. And so let's just stop living in self-occupation and all of our weird prisons that we live in and step out and just say, you know what, let's go out and preach. Even though we got the whole Congress breathing down our neck, let's just get out there and teach. Let's just minister to people in our jobs, in our circles. Let's talk to our neighbors. Our neighbors are hurting. How many know of your neighbors? They are hurting people. I mean, we got... I mean, even in the neighborhood I live in, I could just tell people are hurting. People are hurting. So the closing statement is this, is that to live in the power of the witness of the Spirit, don't live in control or even try and controlling your anger, but just humble yourself under his mighty hand and live in awe. And when we live in awe, you know what happens? Just some incredible things begin to happen. And God's, God's message and God's power is revealed and we just set him free because when we're trying to control it, it just is not, it's just not good. And we live in a very small world. Amen. Let's just close our eyes and bow our heads for a moment.